Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day, Lord. Thank you that you have given us this chance to gather together, Lord, and thank you for visiting us here. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would crack them open before you, Lord, and that you would reveal um, them to us, Lord. Help us to come to you in faith now, Lord, to receive your word, and may it sink deeply into us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's so good to see you all today. Well, when I was in seminary, I, was, uh, I came up with this idea to make a little money, because I needed a little money, right? And so I had a friend who was in seminary as well. He's a classmate of mine. And he had this job running a tree trimming business. And so I thought, how hard can that be? Right? Tree trimming, no big deal. Right? But the problem, there were two major obstacles to me being successful at this. One was I have no formal tree trimming training. Right? And two, I'm afraid of heights. (laughs) But regardless of these challenges, I was young enough to try it. Right? How? I mean, you know, no big deal. I'll get up in this tree, no big deal. So the first job we had was at a professor of the seminary at his house. And... Uh, the first tree we decided to take down was this massive tree, right? And my friend went up it like a monkey and cut off all the branches, just do 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 all the way up to the top. Then he's like, okay, Seth, you take the tree down. Now, because it was close to the house, we couldn't just like do the good old one chop at the bottom and then the thing goes over, right? Because it might land on our professor's house, which would go poorly uh, for our longevity in this business. Instead, what I needed to do was climb up this tree with no limbs on it and cut it down section by section. Right? Have you all done this before? It's not as fun as it sounds. Right? The idea sounded really good from the ground. And so I get up there. You have to like haul yourself up it, right? Because there's no branches on the tree anymore. So I haul myself up to the top of this tree. And I'm 75 feet up in this tree. And I'm like, wait, how does this chainsaw work again? Right? I'd used them before, but this was a whole new thing when you've got that much air between you and the ground. And so I'm doing my first cut on the very top of the tree, right? And I fire up that chainsaw, and you have to cut right at your head level. Right? And is that really where you want the chainsaw running? I mean, I started thinking at that point, is this a good idea? Because I really wanted to be cutting down here. Right, which is where you have more strength, you can kind of control things a little better. But the problem with cutting down here is, that's where your rope is attached. (laughs) Right, and that's not a good idea to either cut through your rope, and then you go down, but the tree stays up. Or, you cut through the tree, and your rope is attached to the part that's now falling to the ground. (laughs) Right, you have that kind of comic book moment where you look down, and then you just have a little cloud, (laughs) as you drop. Um... That moment in the tree made me really rethink this job. And this was really my last day on that job, right? After that, I realized there were better ways to make money than that. You know, bomb disposal is probably a safer mode of making money than that. Um, And it really caused me, as I held that chainsaw, to think about the power of what I was messing with. Right, that chainsaw, it was a little limbing. It's like a small chainsaw that's used for, like, climbing. It's a climbing saw, it's called. And it looks so cute on the ground. But when it's right by your face, ripping away, you realize what you're messing with 
and how dangerous it is and what power it has to hurt you. We think we can control it, but ultimately it's something beyond our control. Isaiah, in our Old Testament passage, is calling out for God to come to him and to help him and the people of Israel. He wants God to come down and rescue them. And they need it. They need it big time. The Israelites are wrong and messed up in all kinds of ways in this passage, right? They have lost track of God. They're doing ridiculous stuff. They're worshiping the gods and the idols of the nations around them. But they're also out of control um, as a nation, too, on a national level, because uh, they've been invaded. They've been conquered. The Babylonians have come and burned the temple with fire. Jerusalem has been overrun. Times are rough. They are lost and wounded and need help. And God knows that, or Isaiah knows that God can help them. And so he calls out to the Lord to save them. He asks, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Isaiah loves God. And he wants God to come and help them, to come and protect them. And he, and God who Isaiah is calling out to will come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. Isaiah wants God to come down in his power, to come down and make the mountains quake to burn like fire-kindling brushwood and causing water to boil. Now, when God shows up like this, this isn't for a visit like with tea and crumpets. Right? God showing up like this is him showing in his power, his majesty, his strength, and his justice. This God, it was hoped, would come and set things right by wiping out the enemies of the Israelites and establishing justice. But there was one problem with this formula, right? It was a dangerous proposition because Isaiah describes his people as, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now, last time I checked, dry leaves and filthy cloth don't go well with fire. Right? Do they? You're like, ah, forest fire, let's throw leaves on it. That'll put it out. No, that's not how it works, right? God was going to show up in his power. He is a God who burns with righteousness. And the Israelites would be merely kindling before him as well. Because they had forgotten God. They had forgotten him. And so they were dry. They had turned away from him, no longer worshipped him. And so when God came, it would not just be to judge the other nations, but to judge Israel as well. Because in reality, they were no different than the other nations. Our passage tells us, there is no one who calls on your name or who attempts to take hold of you. So what percentage is Isaiah saying of Israelites who are focused on God? Zero. Zero. Nobody. Not a one. Not a single person is focused on God. No one calls on your name. They had become just like the nations that oppressed them. They had forgotten God. 
They had forgotten about his grace, his mercy, his love, the way he had led them every day, the way he had protected them, the way he had given them that wonderful land to live in, the way he sustained them in that land, the way he answered their prayers and was with them. They had forgotten all of that and had become just like everybody else. So when God came down to judge the other nations, he would be judging his own people as well. His righteousness could not allow any other way. That's how righteousness works, right? It works 100% of the time. You can't be righteous 15% of the time and consider yourself righteous. It just doesn't work that way. And God is righteous always. Now, I'm a huge fan of righteousness and justice as long as it's being given to other people. Right? You know, if somebody steals my stuff or hacks me off, what do I want for them? Justice, that's right. Give me justice. I demand justice. Right? Get the white glove out. Um, But if I wrong somebody else or hurt them or take their stuff, what do I want? Mercy. Mercy. You guys know me too well. That's right. Mercy. And that's how we all operate, isn't it? Right? We We want God to be just when we're dealing with other people, but merciful for us, obviously. That's what we need. But the problem is, is God doesn't work like that. He doesn't turn tricks for us. Right, just to keep us happy. God is a God of righteousness and justice all the time. Now, we're people who struggle with that concept because we have a justice system in our nation. And is it right all the time? No, it's not right all the time. You read of stories all the time where, you know, death row inmate gets uh, exonerated because it turned out he never did the crime. Right, new evidence. That's the challenge in our world. And that's one of the challenges we're facing right now with this, um, this kind of um, tumultuous situation in Missouri, isn't it? Is that people are questioning whether justice was served or whether it was not served. Right? And people have differing opinions on the matter. And no one can say, oh, we, are, we can trust in the decision because our justice system always gets it right. Can, we, can anyone say that honestly? No, it just doesn't happen. Right? But with God, justice is always right all the time. And that, my friends, is a dangerous thing as well. Here the Israelites are stuck in a position of needing God to help them because they're being oppressed by the Babylonians. They need God to help them. They know they can't get out themselves. They are stuck. And yet, if God comes, they know they will be judged just like the Babylonians as well. Where was their hope then? Where was their hope then in the face of this dilemma? Their hope was in God alone. Isaiah says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider... We are all your people. Isaiah asks God for mercy and for grace. He asks the Lord that he forgive the sins of the people and set them right before him. He knew he couldn't stand on judgment because God's judgment would crush the Israelites. Instead, he appealed to God for mercy because he knew that under God's mercy, they could be forgiven. 
Isaiah knew the people had fallen short, that they had missed the mark and they had forgotten God. He knew that they needed God, and yet also that they stood under the Lord's judgment. And so he knew that he and the people of Israel needed God's grace most of all. They needed to be forgiven because their iniquities had grown too numerous. They had overwhelmed them. They were struggling under the weight of their sin. And though they needed God's forgiveness in their lives. Now, dealing with powerful things is a dangerous proposition. As I hung up in that tree that day, I knew I had to choose how I would relate to that chainsaw. Ultimately for me, and thankfully I think for all of us, the chainsaw and me didn't um, get too close that day in the wrong way. And ultimately I left the chainsaw behind because I knew that that was not a path that would lead me anywhere good. Right? There are better ways to make money for me than being in a tree with a chainsaw. But God is not something we can leave aside like that. We can say, oh, he's too dangerous. I better just not connect to him at all. We will relate to God in one way or the other, either under his mercy or under his judgment. We must make a choice in our relationship with God. And it's not a decision that we make once and put on a shelf. We must decide whether we will receive the gift of God's grace that he's given us in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And we must decide this each and every day. Decide, will I live into this grace? Will I live into his mercy and love? Or will I live as though there is no God? What decision have you made in your life? Have you chosen to receive the free gift of his mercy and love? And how has it changed your life? Because one doesn't accept the gift like this without it changing us. And how is it changing your life right now? I know for myself, I have a tendency to cruise through life without looking too deep. All right, often it takes like trauma to cause me to look deep. But today, may we break that pattern of just living in a shallow way and be given the ability to look at our hearts and see our hearts as the Lord sees them. May we be able to see the sin, the brokenness, the iniquity that lies therein. May we see those areas that we've walled off from God, trying to keep him out. May we see inside of us those ways that we've opened the door to sin. And may we confess. May we repent. May we ask for God's forgiveness. And ultimately, may we receive his forgiveness and love. Because it is a sure and certain thing that if we ask for the mercy of God, it will be given us. And so may we turn to him now, receive his grace and mercy, and then leave this place transformed in proclaiming the praises of a God who has set us free. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the one who has extended your hope to us, Lord. You did not leave us in our sin. You did not leave us lonely and hurting, Lord. But you stepped down into this world and took our flesh upon you. Lord, you lived as one of us, yet perfect, without sin. And then on the cross, you took our sin upon, upon you, Lord, and you offer us your grace in exchange. 
Help us, Lord God, to not scorn this gift you have given us. May we receive it, and may we walk with you, Lord, each and every day. Lord, give us the gift of repentance, the gift to see where we've fallen short, and may we confess those things to you and receive your mercy anew. And help us, Lord, to live redeemed lives, proclaiming your good news in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.